You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. When you're an American Express Platinum card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. Welcome to another edition of the Hangtime Podcast. I'm your host, Seku Smith, here in Atlanta. I'm upset today. I'm just going to go ahead and say it right off the bat. Our guest today has the kind of voice that makes me believe there is no Santa. I asked for that kind of voice when I was a kid. I got nothing. And then who walks into my life but Michael Grady? Courtside report for the Yes Network on this broadcast. The man with the golden voice. Mike, how you doing first and foremost, man? And, and it's interesting seeing you dealing with the Brooklyn team now after the time you spent in Indiana. How's that transition been for you, just going from one team to this other team with all these, you know, with all these storylines? First off, good talking to you, brother, man. Uh, we go we, we go back, you know, um, to those Indiana days and you coming on, talking a little radio, talking a little basketball around the league, man. So it's, it's, uh, it's uh, amazing to continue these conversations with you. But it's been great. You know, um, when I made the move to Brooklyn, folks were looking at me sideways because I was – like a 20 win basketball team. Like, what are you doing? Like this, you know, the Nets is terrible, but I, I got a lot of influences my, in my life. And as silly as it sounds from Biggie to Jay-Z, the Basquiat just had a connection to New York and it, and it felt right. Um, I never would have imagined that a few short years later, we'd be talking about KD and Kyrie in the mix. So that roller coaster has been wild, but it's been a smooth transition and a really good fit, my man. I know that Kyrie talked about 7-Eleven and introducing us to this new superstar duo. Lately, it's been, well, last night it was 7. The 11 is absent. I mean, what's your take on what's going on right now, just in terms of where Kyrie is in a mental space, in terms of getting back with this team on the court? In terms of why he's out, coaches said he's going to leave it to Kyrie to share. There's a lot of speculation, rumors as to why it is. And Kyrie, I'm sure, will share that reason at some point soon. There is some confusion, however, in terms of whether or not the uh, the franchise is okay with how it came out or the timing or who all was communicated with when they decided not to play. At the same time, we're talking about, you know, delicate issues. So whether we're talking about mental health, whether it's something associated with social justice, these are somewhat delicate things where as a society, we're learning patience, we're learning understanding. And then how you balance that with work life is something that I think is a conversation we'll continue to have. So I don't know how the timing went. All I know is that three games ago, Steve Nash said he just found out that Kyrie wasn't playing and had not heard from him at that particular point. By that point, players had already gotten a text from Kyrie Irving. So from that standpoint, from an organization standpoint, there's something from a communication-wise that they want to get worked out, ironed out, so they're not running into these things. So Steve Nash doesn't feel ambushed when he steps into a press conference 90 minutes before a tip and goes, hey, where's your where's your point guard? So that, that type of stuff needs to get worked out. And I know a lot of folks, especially in Boston, will say, well, this comes with the territory when you're talking about... <laughs> 
<laughs> when you're talking about a Kyrie Irving. And um, all I'll say to that is a lot of stuff I'm sure will be shed to light once he speaks. From a teammate standpoint, Sekou, those guys all ride for him. From KD to Timothy Luau Cabral, they're all, they all ride for Kyrie. They say they're behind him 100%. And when you start getting fractions in that, that's when I feel like a real issue on your hands. I tell people all the time, you don't really appreciate a player until you see him on a regular basis. I remember the World Cup in Spain. It was the first time I'd been around Kyrie on a consistent basis and realized how good he was. I knew he was talented, but man, I was like, when you see him day after day, you know, game after game up close, and it's like, man, this dude can do basically whatever he wants. I feel like Kyrie as a talent is unquestioned. Do you think he's doing harm to his reputation as a player by having all these other issues following him off the court? Yes. But does he care? I don't think so. You know what I mean? So, again, not to get too deep in the weeds of, uh, of speculation, but for all, everybody who said that this is associated with social justice or what transpired in the nation's capital, what if it's not that? What if it has nothing to do with it? So for those who are having that conversation, it's, well, if he came out and said that it was because of this, we're having a conversation about that as opposed to crapping on Kyrie because he's away from the team and we don't know why. Because if you don't give a reason, then everybody's left to speculate and then rip that apart. But if you come out and say, hey, I was uncomfortable with what happened here. And as a personal protest, this is what I'm doing. Now we're having a conversation about, you know, social justice and things like that. And I feel like the mental health tie-in is something that's very similar. So he definitely, this absence aside, moves to the beat of his own drum. And when people criticize that, when people, you know, rip that, it emboldens him. It makes him, for some people, it'll make him go, okay, all right, maybe I need to play nice. For him, no, I'm I'm going to continue to do what I want to do. And so, I mean, it's no secret that he's been portrayed as not a friend of the media and uh, had the whole situation, you know, with him having to clarify the whole Pons comment before the season. Right. But does he truly care at the end of the day? No. And for guys who don't care, I think that reputation is going to continue to go one way. Now, if you want to, you know, you win championships and things like that, you know, the public were real weird from that standpoint. You win championships, all that stuff is water under the bridge. But when you're losing and you have all these sort of issues, then that reputation sticks with you. I feel like the Nets players, other players have handled this well. I mean, Karis LeVert has been outstanding. Joe Harris has popped. I mean, they've had guys that clearly haven't let all this stuff affect them. What's your take on Steve Nash as a first-time head coach and how he's managed things so far? I mean, it looks good to me. He's been as good or better than I, you know, than I would have expected him to be. Man, I would not want his job, man. To be a first-year head coach, really for any head coach in the NBA this season, to have limited training camp to implement your system, Limited practice time because the games are coming, you know, every other day, back to back and every other day, three and four days. And so you're not really having practice time to implement the things that you want to implement. Then you're having guys out for contact tracing here, contact tracing there, or maybe this guy gets COVID. KD's feeling great, out for health and safety protocols, has to miss three games, didn't get one positive uh, COVID test. Another player, Tyler Johnson, same type of situation. And then you lose, from the Nets perspective, you lose Spencer Dinwiddie just a couple of games into the season. You know, the whole Kyrie situation. Like, there's a lot that's been thrown at Steve Nash that, again, I don't envy the position that he's in at all. That said, I think he's done a solid job because I would be having a nervous breakdown. So the fact that he still <laughs> has it all together... I got to give him a lot of credit. And what I give him the, the most credit for is there are some guys, and you've seen this plenty of times, Sekou, who come in and they're just like, I'm the man. This is what I'm doing. No, I'm not listening to you. This is what I'm doing. And no, 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 no. This is the way we're doing. And I know, you know, get that out of my face. And they're just coming in this full authority like the guys get the basketball. 
And Steve has come in and let everybody know that he's, of course, running things, but it's been a collaborative effort with the coaches, with the players, the communication. Uh, so he's not coming in, even though he's a Hall of Famer, well accomplished in his career, like he knows it all. Um, he truly listens to his coaches from from uh, Jacques Vaughn to, of course, Mike D'Antoni to Ime Udoka and then communicating with the players and getting their feedback, not just KD and Kyrie, but Karis and Joe Harris. And so it's been a real collaborative effort. One thing that we will keep an eye on, though, is um, as they struggle with their weaknesses, because this this most recent uh, loss that they had to OKC was the most pissed that I've seen Steve Nash after a game. Um, throw, throwing the word respecting the game out there, different things like that. True test comes when you're facing adversity. Right. And when you have to get after your guys and seeing how they respond. Probably the biggest challenge for First-time coaches is just finding that right spirit, you know, to implement and harp on. There was so much going on in terms of expectations, a different spotlight for the Nets. Where do you see them in the bigger picture in the Eastern Conference? I don't know that there's a, a lockdown favorite right now as to who could be the best team in the East. I would give it a slight edge to Milwaukee right now. Not a done deal after, you know, what we've seen from them in the postseason the last couple of years. Missing out on Bogdanovich, I think, was huge with that whole trade. Drew Holiday was a nice pickup. But I think missing out on Bogdan really hurt. Hope he gets well soon, by the way, for Atlanta. But to me, the team that commits the most to defense is going to be the team that gets out of the Eastern Conference. And I think Milwaukee's physicality gives them an edge. I think that Philadelphia, certainly, they will be in the conversation. They got off to a fast start, you know, for sure. The question mark with them is always going to be health and availability. We've seen them go through stretches where they looked, you know, ridiculous, but can they stay healthy? With the Nets, I think it'll be a heck of a chess match with the Nets playing really good basketball and then facing a Milwaukee team because the Nets can score with anybody. The Nets could have a bad game and put up 125, but they are having some serious issues defending individually with man-to-man, collectively with switches, all type of stuff. They are having big-time issues. That was an Oklahoma City team that was averaging 101 points a game and they dropped 120-something with no issues. And there was a lot of isolation situations. Just, I'm going to take you off the dribble and get a good look. And there was nothing the Nets could do about that. And, and there's nobody coming in to help them in that regard. Kyrie's the only one that's out. So from a defensive standpoint, they got to figure out how they're going to lock guys down and keep opposing teams from getting in the paint and getting easy looks and second chance points because the Nets have been terrible when it comes to um, defensive rebounds or keeping the opponent off the offensive glass. All these things are strong suits of the Milwaukee Bucks. That will make it an interesting chess match if we get to that toward the end of the season, if the Nets are playing pretty good basketball. If the Nets continue to play D the way that they're playing, we're not talking about Eastern Conference Finals <laughs> with, with the Nets in Milwaukee. The vibe I know in New York is always tenuous. Who's playing well at the time determines what kind of attention you're getting in that New York market. I know the fans have always been dialed into the Knicks no matter what. What's the feel? What's the temperature when the Knicks are off to a better-than-expected start maybe? from a lot of people's perspectives, and the Nets, who were expected to do big things, have kind of hit choppy waters early. What's the vibe amongst the people up there in, in Brooklyn and throughout New York? It's an interesting one because all I see is, what, what I see on my timeline is a lot of folks just talking crap, you know, back and, <laughs> back and forth. You know what I mean? It's just like, so from the Nets' perspective, Nets fans are really excited. The Knicks fans have been excited about their team, but they've been cautious about, you know, ripping into the Nets. So there's a little bit of trash talk. You have some people that are bold, but no Knicks fan in their right mind would say, yeah, we're off to a better start. And we're better than y'all. But there is a Knicks-Nets matchup coming up real soon. And if the Knicks win that, then 
I, I mean, social media is going to be bananas because this is the Knicks' real opportunity to rub it in. As things as as the Nets get healthy, get on the same page, they find their rhythm. You know, the Knicks cannot they can't hang with the Nets, but this is a real opportunity for bragging rights. There is substance to what the Knicks are doing for sure. I'm talking from a pure talent standpoint. And I feel like the Knicks on a night-in, night-out basis, Thibodeau is getting the most out of their talent while the Nets seem a step slow in their losses. Effort was questioned against Oklahoma City. And, you know, it's a little bit of an issue. And I know that the Knicks lost to that very same team, by the way. So, yeah, it's been it's been a little bit of, you know, back and forth. The real unfortunate part of all this is, I know all NBA arenas are like this, but it's just, it's fun in New York, as you know, because of the juice in the building when the fans are there. And that's a, that's a hell of a barometer right there. So I know Madison Square Garden would be rocking with the team that's getting off to a fast start and seeing what Tibbs is doing. I can't even process, imagine what these early games would have been like in Brooklyn watching the show, as you pointed out, with Kyrie being a magician and the ease with which Kevin Durant is able to score. Like That's what I'm hoping we can get back to at some point soon and see the real test of the juice in the opposing buildings. I was in the bubble and watching games. And after a few games, you just get used to it. You get used to not having that ambiance and that kind of energy that the crowd brings. There was a small family contingent in there, but not enough people to change the, the, the mood in the room with their cheering and screaming. Yeah. I've been impressed that players have performed in spite of, of not having that element involved. At the same time, and this is me specifically watching the Nets and even going back to the bubble, and I'm sure you can attest to this. You realize who's a self-starter. You know, they don't need people in the building to go, I'm coming for your neck. And then you then you notice other guys who are like, I need that extra juice. It doesn't even have to necessarily be home juice. Right. Some guys just get jacked up on the road. Somebody talks about your mama while you're on the court. Oh, <laughs> that's all I needed. Okay, I'm going to go drop 30 real quick. Kind of notice who's self-starters and doesn't need that extra juice or whatever it may be. And they just go out there and they do their thing. It's still really odd in these arenas and watching watching these games and the piped in sound and watching these guys do their thing, especially when you're seeing, you know, superstars out there on the floor and you just know what that crowd is like and how many people would be dying to be in that building. And even when they had limited fans, I was watching, you know, a Grizzlies game and they have a couple of socially distanced seats there in the in the front row. Even that looked awkward. <laughs> it's just the NBA going back to the bubble and what they're doing now, they've done an, done an amazing, amazing job. But in watching these Nets games, there's just times where they've had lulls on their home court where I, I just think to myself, if the home crowd was here, they would be pushing these guys on. Not to say that, again, we know with a full capacity, teams have lulls and sometimes they don't snap out of it. But this is a new team fresh set of guys still learning each other that intangible i feel is really missing with this group and i think the same can be said for a few other teams in the league too last week philly catches them you know and you're thinking oh, this is indeed and ben simmons chance to dominate and they came out in them throwback unis i swear i was waiting for Derek coleman to come up the bench and it's interesting you find out like kind of what the measure of a team is as you mentioned earlier when they're dealing with adversity when it looks like everything stacked against them they show themselves I'm wondering, is the, is the supporting cast in Brooklyn better than people give it credit for, do you think? And I can be completely wrong on this, but I feel like it is a terrific supporting cast. I feel like there's guys on that roster. I think their core three guys that have been around for a few years, Joe Harris, Karis LeBert, Jared Allen. If Kevin has to miss time, 
if Kyrie has to miss time, like if those three guys are playing well and they have chemistry because they've been playing together the last few years, that playoff game against Philadelphia a couple of years ago, same thing a season ago against Toronto in the opening round. You've seen Karras have some have some, some ridiculous moments. Joe Harris has a consecutive game, so three-pointer streak at, at 71 right now. And Jared Allen has made a big leap this season. Like those guys are tough. Those guys are real tough and starters in this league, for sure. So those guys are legit. You have other guys that are figuring things out. Uncle Jeff Green is, is you know, has, I mean, that guy's timeless and um, a great presence in the locker room and still has it. You know, DeAndre Jordan has had his moments this season. But aside from some of those veteran guys, I feel like when you have a presence like a Kevin Durant and a Kyrie Irving, it takes time and intimidated is too strong of a word, Sekou, but it just takes time to not be timid on the court and continue to be aggressive. So uh, like I was mentioning music earlier, if I've got a, a cipher and I'm freestyling with guys, you know, on the, on a corner or wherever it may be. And we're just, just me and my boys. And we're just, you know, doing our thing. I can be extra confident, you know, drop some great lines, whatever it may be. Then all of a sudden, Jay-Z, Nas, or J. Cole, and Kendrick Lamar come in and like, all right, go. Like, I'm, I might freak, you know, I might just, I might struggle in that moment or it may take some time. But if those guys keep coming on a regular basis and I go, okay, all right, all right, then I, okay, all right. Then I, I find that ease and comfortability. And I just feel like I see guys timid. I see guys thinking a little bit too much. I think time will show that, okay, they're just basketball players. I want to win. I got to get them out of my head about this. And I feel like that's, what we need to see with the rest of the supporting cast. Do they have talent? Absolutely. But to me, I think some of the struggles and and timidity that we're seeing is just something a little bit mental, that it just takes a little bit more time playing with Kevin and Kyrie. In addition to that, you also don't have a guy like a Draymond Green on the roster who can smack you upside of the head and say, snap out of it. Because Kevin's not going to do that. Kyrie's not going to do that. They're just going to go be them. They're just going to, you know, they're not going to yell at you or anything like that. They're just going to go do them. If there was a Draymond or somebody like that to, yo, just play. I think that would I think that would go a long way. But the talent, the depth, I think I think it's really solid, Siku. Yeah, the Nets bear watching. No matter what happens with Seven Eleven and Kyrie and all this, I mean, if you're looking at the league and saying who are the teams you're gonna keep an eye on this year with the new coach, two new superstars, and all that comes with that in that market in the East. You know, the Nets were one of the teams I marked down as a. Must watch when you get a chance, when you get an opportunity, just to see how they function, just to see if the dynamic is there for them to win and win big, or is this a, is this a process that's going to take some time? I picked some top four in the East going into the season. I'm not ready to change that now, no matter what's going on. The first 10 games, I'm riding with that until further notice. So I don't know if you feel the same way, but yeah, they just got that feel to them. Yeah, I do too. And and because the talent is just too good. You know, obviously the goal is a championship, but to your point, you know, a lot of people picked them first in the East because of the talent that they had. But I just felt like with resting, different things like that, and knowing that the ultimate prize is the championship, that they would sacrifice some games during the regular season to make sure that they're healthy, mentally locked in and ready to go by the time we get to playoff time. So I feel like Giannis continues to be on a mission. I see at the end them finishing with the best record in the East once again. I can see Philadelphia, if they continue to stay healthy, being right there. And then it's Boston, Brooklyn, Indiana not too far behind. Miami will certainly be in the mix. But I, I, I feel like Milwaukee, Philly, Brooklyn, Boston as your top four by the time we get to the end of the season. So I'm with you there. Michael Grady, courtside reporter for the Yes Network, Nets broadcast. Appreciate you as always, sir. Always good to talk hoops with you. 
and talk with you. See you, man. Take care. I know it's not the New York we all remember right now for various reasons. <laughs> you, you're having a good time up there regardless. Absolutely. Always. <laughs> and always good catching up with you. Hope things get back to normal soon, brother. <laughs> no doubt, man. Appreciate you. Appreciate Michael Grady, courtside reporter for the Yes Network on this broadcast. Join us. Always good to get some insight from people around the league who are knee-deep in the coverage and on top of things. So appreciate him for joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast. As we always do on Mondays, we talk power rankings with NBA.com's John Schumer, my main man. Um, Shoot, before we get going on the power rankings, I'm curious. Ten games in, there are teams that always surprise or disappoint. Charlotte has been a little bit better than I expected. LaMelo Ball, youngest player to get a triple-double. Have you had to reassess your thoughts about what the what Charlotte's going to be this season, or are we maybe jumping the gun a little bit on them? I think we're maybe jumping the gun. I mean, they've won three straight, two against the Hawks, who are seemingly struggling, one against the Pelicans, who have been, who maybe a week ago looked like a pretty good team, but now don't look so great because they're slumping as well. I do like the changes that they've made they lead the league in in moving the ball they move the ball a ton they're pushing the pace this year it's one of those rare sort of occasions where you don't have a new coach but you have a totally different sort of style of play where with the increased pace and the increased ball movement Lamella ball has something to do with that because like his brother he will push the ball and, and and pass ahead to get the break going but I think it's more just a sort of a collective Gordon Hayward's been really really good too I watched their game one of their games against Atlanta this weekend, he was just punishing Trey Young. They're basically running pick and roll with either Ball or Devontae Graham, and Hayward set in the screen, and then they get Trey Young switched onto Hayward, and he would just sort of beat him up like he was Dirk, you know, sort of playing at the nail, catching the ball there, and then just going one on one, either shooting over him, taking him into the paint, or if they tried, if the Hawks tried to avoid the switch, the Hornets would get him scrambling and they'd find an open shot elsewhere. So it was kind of fun to see that team sort of execute like that. And I think. Hayward gives them sort of that skilled and a big skilled player who allows them to do stuff like that rather than just try to you know move the ball as much as they can and get shots for Graham and Rozier yeah just an interesting team that I watched both of those games against the Hawks and I've been watching them Hayward looks really good I mean he's just knocking down shots from all over the place really you know really sticking out to me early in terms of a team that I'm maybe changing my mind about or at least willing to change my mind about who's the team that this week in power rankings that's trending up uh, they've been trending up for a little while now, but I have them now at number two this week, and that's the Phoenix Suns. Actually, I watched the wrong Suns game this weekend. I watched them in Detroit, and they were eviscerating the Pistons through a quarter and a half. They were running the same set. It's called Spain pick and roll. It's basically a you know a regular pick and roll, but with a, a, a back screen in the middle of the paint from another wing, and they would have Langston Galloway send that back screen and then flare out, and the Pistons couldn't guard it. They basically got everything. They got layups. They got th- open threes off of it. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the second quarter, with the Suns up 23, the Pistons went to zone and the game changed and the Suns never had an answer for it and the Pistons won in overtime. But I think otherwise, I mean, they came back following night and got a really good win in Indiana with the Kale Bridges scoring a career high 33 points. And what's kind of crazy about that is that it's not only his career high, but it's a season high for the Suns. And you think about, well, wait a minute, Dem Booker hasn't scored, and Dem Booker hasn't scored more than, I think, 26 in a game this year. He's been steady, but not like crazy. Yeah, so the Suns have a top 10 offense. I think they're up to seventh offensively this season. And they have seven guys averaging double figures. 
Booker averaging just 22. He hasn't gone off really. And that, that tells you a lot like about what this team could be. They, their bench has been really good early on when Dario Saric was hurt and hadn't come back yet. They were struggling with the bench because they were trying to put Jalen Smith, that rookie as the backup center. And he wasn't ready yet. And Damian Jones is the backup center and he's just not very good. Um, but since Saric has come back, their bench has been terrific. Cam Johnson's minutes have been great. Cameron Payne's minutes have been great. And so they're doing it with depth, which is as stacked as their starting lineup seems to be. It hasn't been all that dominant, but they're winning with depth and they have their top 10 on both ends of the floor right now. Who's the team that's holding the rope this week in power rankings? <laughs> Gotta be careful. They don't slip. This is not a team I was expecting much of, honestly, but when I've watched them, I've just been utterly disappointed, and that's the Sacramento Kings. I mean, I'll say this. There are a lot of teams or a handful of teams playing really bad defense this early in the season. Denver defense has been bad. Washington's defense has been bad, of course. Minnesota's defense has been terrible. The Bulls' defense has been terrible. And the Kings have topped them all. The Kings have quickly slid into last in defensive efficiency mm-hmm. they have lost the six of eight and that eight game stretch is a worse defensive stretch than they had all of last season i'll give you this stat from power rankings they rank last in opponent field goal percentage of the paint at 62.1 percent and with marvin bagley the third on the floor that number is 68.4 percent you talking about trading me marvin bagley that's what i don't get like i watched a couple of their games and marvin bagley is not he had one good game last week i think in a win over the bulls but i watched him and he's just not very good about the one game i watched he posted somebody up he basically waved off buddy healed and like said no i got this and then he got stripped and then he got stripped again in the post like a few minutes later his defense has been like he doesn't move very well the Kings are terrible. Like I said, I didn't expect them to be good. They lost one of their best players, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, in free agency. So I didn't expect them to be very good. But just to watch them is just like, you got to think, like, man, why is this team so bad right now? I know in the past we've uh, we've allowed you to embarrass me <laughs> with trivia questions. I got a quick one for yeah, you. Yeah, hit me up. Let me see if, if my skills have gotten any better over the years. Okay. Through Sunday – January 10th, there are two players who rank in the top 10 in both rebounds and assists per game. Okay. Two players in the top 10 in rebounds and assists per game. One should be easy. Yep. Jokic. Yes. Nikola Jokic is eighth in rebounds at 11.2 and third in assists at 10.4, averaging a triple-double. Who is the other player that currently ranks in the top 10 in both rebounds and assists per game? He's in the Eastern Conference playing for a team that has been somewhat surprising. Uh, Rebounds and assists. Julius Randle. Julius Randle. Correct. Nice work. Fifth in rebounds at 11.8 and 10th in assists at 7.1. Should I be concerned that this is a season-long trend for Julius Randle? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of the Knicks yet, just yet. Um, you know, they, they're one of these sort of hot and cold teams. There's been a lot of them, obviously. But just one of these teams that will have a really impressive win followed by a confounding loss. But they have a top 10 defense. Appreciate you, brother. As always, NBA.com's John Schumann talking power rankings here on the Hangtime Podcast. Shouts out to Michael Grady for joining us to talk Nets. And to, as always, John Schumann on Mondays here on the Hangtime Podcast. Appreciate you. We'll see you next time.
an epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply.